0: Welcome to DevMode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston.
1: I'm Jennifer Bloomberg from Next Solutions in New York City. I'm Tim Kelty from Fusionary in Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: And today we have on Andrus, oh my God, Sevchenko?
2: Maybe. (laughs) Andrus,
0: say your last name for me, Andrus. Shevchenko. We have on Andrus Sevchenko from okay. the Republic of Andrastan, who is working at Pixel & Tonic as the lead special ops engineer. How are you doing, Andrus? I'm doing just fine. Thanks. Fantastic. So the reason we have you on today is, first of all, we want to know what is a lead special ops engineer? Like, what does that mean?
2: It means I get to do all the stuff nobody else wants to do, I suppose. <laughs> 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 no, well, what it really means, I usually get the assignments that are prone to being much more complicated than it initially seems.
0: Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, as you mentioned, you work at Pixel and Tonic and you've been with Pixel and Tonic for a long time, right? Didn't you start? Like, I don't really know your history, but I think you started working on the some of the assets plugins for Expression Engine. Is that true?
2: Yeah, it, I've been for, at Pixel and Tonic for more than eight years now. Wow so yeah it's pretty crazy and I did, wow, did start working on the assets plugin for expression engine and then I sort of took over all the other expression engine plugins just so Brad and Brandon had a, a decent chance on working on what was done block CMS mm. and then it sort of spiraled out of control and here we are
0: yeah and the reason we have you on today is we wanted to talk to you about you writing the graphql API for craft CMS now so we've covered graphQL before in terms of what it is and how you might want to use it. We did a podcast with Mark Hewitt a long time ago, and we just recently did uh, another podcast on GraphQL, but I wanted to focus on what it was like to build out this API for Craft CMS. So Andrus, if you were out in a night market in Mombasa, Kenya, and you were bartering away all of your worldly possessions for traditional Maasai spears and shields and stuff, and the guy you're selling the stuff to said, hey, what's it like building the GraphQL API for Craft CMS? Like, what would you tell him? <laughs> I
2: First of all, are, are the shields and spears worth my all of my worldly possessions?
0: As far as you're concerned, yeah. Yeah. They're cool as hell. Um,
2: cool. So as far as this mis- mystery is concerned, it's both crazy and uh, it, it's weird. It's fast and slow at the same time because you're building things fast and they're breaking and then you're throwing them out and you're trying new approaches. And then once everything's practically ready to ship, it turns out it's nothing what people want, so you do it again. It's, uh, you know, it's basically kind of like bartering away your worldly possessions at a market (laughs) in uh, someplace Kenya.
0: Well, the reason I'm interested is I think that myself and a lot of other people who are listening to the podcast consume these APIs and we build stuff for a client and typically it's one client you know we build our client wants us to build x and then we're using craft cms or some other technologies to to build it meanwhile what you're building is something that is going to be used by thousands of people so how does that work like how, tell me how the discussion went down when you and Brandon and Brad or wh- whoever else were sitting down and talking about, hey, I think we should implement a GraphQL API. Like how did that conversation go?
2: Do you want the honest version? <laughs> <Of course. laughs> of course. I, I I remember that conversation. That was I think three years ago when okay. it was sort of understood that this had to happen. And the entire conversation pretty much went, I think Brandon said, I think we should have GraphQL API. Mm-hmm. And me and Brad said, Hmm, yeah, that sounds smart. And Brandon said, I guess Andres will do it. And <laughs> basically That's how we decided that. But you're right that it's definitely different building features and functionality that a lot of, I I don't want to put out numbers, you know, but a lot of people use daily. Mm -hmm. So I guess from a developer's perspective, it's very important to frame things correctly Mm. because, for example, I always try to focus on the problem that I'm solving instead of the feature that I'm building. Because if you look at GraphQL and if you're looking at it, oh, I want to build this feature, then you're just focusing on what function is going to have how it's going to play with other aspects of GraphCMS. But if you look at it from the problem perspective, where the problem is that you want to be able to provide content in an elegant manner... And you are aware that the content is going to be heavily related. You suddenly realize that the performance for, especially the relation layer, is very, very important. Mm. And that is very, very easy to lose track of if you're just focusing on banging out the next cool thing that people are going to talk about. Right. Because you know, once the novelty wears off, as was maybe the case with Project Config, which had a lot of problems in you
0: know <laughs> in early days. Don't worry, we're not going to rake you over <laughs> the coals on that one here.
2: No, no, it's fine. I I think I have redeemed myself over Project Config over the last year or two. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so Project Config is actually a really great example for it because I was more focusing on the feature that I'm building, not the problem that I'm solving. Mm. Because a lot of the issues the Project Config hit could have been avoided if I had focused more on what exactly am I trying to solve for the end users.
0: Well, I think we all have worked on technology stuff and we all realize it's complicated and you know things can be troublesome so it's not a big deal andrus like you're redeemed don't worry about it but you're just saying
2: that because of the seomatic thing
0: Let's not talk about that. <laughs> All
2: right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, right. I'm, I'm being genuine about that. Yeah. But the yeah, the idea, so a lot of us have, for a lot of us, when we build projects, it's for a single client. Now, there are some of us that have built plugins or maybe you've built a software as a service. And then you have to start thinking about not just one client that you're building this thing for, but everybody that's going to end up using it. And I think something like a GraphQL API is such a foundational technology that it's even more important that you really, really architect this thing well. Is that, is that something that you ran into as well?
2: Yeah, I guess. I mean, yes. Um, there definitely were some things I wanted to add, but I realized that if I add them now, mm-hmm. and well, the specific thing being non-element content, such as sections, entry types, all, all that jazz, because that was uh, what I actually started with, not elements. But I realized that it's such a slippery slope that mm-hmm. once you start adding it, people are going are gonna to feel entitled to having everything that is not content. Yeah. And it's similar to when people write in with uh, bug reports or feature requests where you have to weigh out what their specific problem versus the entirety of people using the API. And if, that if I solve this person's problem, is uh, that going to block anybody else? And what are the long-term ramifications?
0: Yeah, you really have to be thinking about things more from a forest mentality as opposed to just concentrating on the tree that's yeah. in front of you, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, you know, you just also have to make sure not to run in the tree in front of you as well. (laughs) (laughs) Another aspect I wanted to mention is that uh, whenever you're building a feature that is not just a gimmick, you also have to realize that it's going to be there probably forever. So you have to have a roadmap mm. of everything you want to add for years to come because you're not going to have the time to add everything now because you're going to get pulled away on uh, support for other stuff or fixing other bugs. You're not going to be able to work on this you know, indefinitely. So you have right. to have a plan and have a roadmap.
0: Well, I think that's what it means to architect something is that you build out the architecture and here's the ideal thing that this is going to end up being. And then you can section it off into manageable chunks saying, okay, we're going to do this part of it, but you've planned the infrastructure with everything else in mind.
2: Yeah. Because it's always different to make some architectural changes, you know, looking retroactively.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about timelines here. So GraphQL, you said you had the discussion starting like three years ago or so. <coughs> when did you end up mm-hmm. shipping GraphQL and what was what was in that API? And what made you decide what was going to be in it and what was going to be excluded from it for the MVP 1.0, whatever you want to call it, release of GraphQL? for craft cms
2: thankfully you're not going to ask for the few years in between that conversation and when we finally <laughs> ship something <laughs> yeah, yeah what the say, hell were yeah, you doing
3: craft ql came yeah. out, or maybe hit beta three yeah. years ago so it, it, at that point was it like huh th- that should uh, eventually get into was, core uh, was that the yeah. idea
2: i definitely reached out to mark and we ta- uh, he gave me plenty of tips on how to work with the underlying PHP library that we're using cuz we're using the same library yeah. and he definitely helped me avoid a lot of pitfalls.
0: Did he tell you don't but, do it just stop?
2: <laughs> he never he never said that it was smart to do it. So
0: Uh-huh. Okay.
2: Uh, yeah, and in, in between we had plenty of other things such as Project Config, which is a different podcast episode all in itself. So we we released Craft Graph, with GraphQL support three in 3.4, I think. And that was, I think it was 3.4. Yes, I think so. And that was uh, almost, well, not a year ago. It was like 11 months ago. Right. And it was time bef- uh, like that because coincidentally there was this entire workshop plan for uh, .all conference with GraphQL. Uh-huh. And we figured it would be great if. Graph- GraphQL was out for at least a month before that. So people had a chance to play with it. So obviously the timeline was uh, pretty short there. And there was no way we were going to be able to add most of the stuff I wanted, even for an MVP. So and that was Craft
0: uh, 3.3, though, right? Was that Craft 3.3 that shipped, I think, right?
2: probably maybe yes yeah i mean yeah yeah 3.3 because uh yeah 3.4 yeah. was released in february and we're working on 3.5 now yeah
0: I got right because i remember leveraging some improvements that i harassed you about for <laughs> for graphql in uh, 3.4 yeah
2: yeah that's true those those are pretty nice improvements
0: yeah uh, no, and we, sure. we can it talk
2: may... about them later <laughs> but well, yeah okay uh, so
0: let's get ba- let's get back to the original 3.3 like what was in that release of graphql and what was left out and what made you decide to kind of package it up that way?
2: Well, the main reason for packaging up was the constructed timeline because of .all mm. conference in the workshop. And as I said before in my uh, incoherent rant ab- uh, about GraphQL, I started out with non-content stuff and I thought, well, this is doing great. This is great. You can query for sites, for site groups, for sections. All right, now let's start adding content. And th- that's when I realized that actually content is going to be the most headache causing part of it all. And at that moment, I realized that I have to drop everything that is not content because there is simply not going to be enough time to make it beta version worthy, I guess. So at that point, 3.3 was sort of slated to be released with GraphQL for content and with the reasonable performance expectations and no mutations, no subscriptions, even though it was clear from day one that mutations are really, really needed by people. But it was slated for later also because we wanted to see how people use GraphQL, see some use cases we probably have missed, because it's incredible how many use cases you miss. Once you think you have everything covered, then you release it, and then you realize you have nothing covered.
0: Yeah. And you actually mentioned something to me that brought a whole lot into focus for me in terms of using the GraphCMS GraphQL API, which was you told me that, remember that every GraphQL query maps to an element mm, query. So yeah. figure out so figure out how to do it via an element query, which yeah. is something you're familiar with, and then work your way backwards. And it's going to be the same thing because that's what you do, right? You, you take the GraphQL query and you have some kind of middleware on it that converts it over to an element query. And then that's what ends up executing, right?
2: Yeah, that is true. Because for All of the awesomeness that GraphQL API for craft provides, it's in really, really crude terms. It's just some, it's a mapping layer where it Maps your query to an element layer to the element query.
0: So yeah, but and, if we use uh, if we use the term middleware, though, we sound very yeah, sophisticated, yeah. though. You know.
2: Yeah, but for <laughs> me, middleware always has sounded a bit Java applety, So I don't know. Okay. But let, uh, all right, let's yeah, let's just pretend it's on Laravel.
3: So yes, middleware. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, spending time I, I, in the dirty layers of PHP so that we can have a nice, clean GraphQL API. You're so, <laughs> you give so much.
2: Ah, uh, you know. I do. I really do. I really do. (laughs) Yeah, but I think as as that's the, a
0: really useful way. I think that's a really useful way to think of it, though. Is that this is something that it it works the way you would expect it to because everything maps to element queries, and I think that was a very clever way for you to implement it under the hood. You didn't rewrite your own query engine. You said, no, this is just going to map to what we already have.
2: To be fair, it's uh, mostly because I'm lazy, uh, and mostly because I, I didn't want to duplicate everything that Brandon comes up with. Right. So I consider this really. To be uh, the heart of craft's graphql implementation is mm-hmm. and in, i think in craft 3.5 it's an entire class it by itself but there's a huge chunk of recursive logic that basically loops goes through the query and figures out how to eager vote everything as well so that it can be really done as a single element query and as you said that's uh, one of my uh, most frequent questions is well how would you do it with an element query mm-hmm. because a lot of to be honest i'm not that Adept in writing element queries because I spend so much time in you know fringes of Craft CMS writing writing some weird weird things. So it it started as actually as an honest question. Well, how how would you do that with an element query? And once they told me, I was like, oh, so in GraphQL you would do it like this. Yeah.
0: No, and I think that's fantastic though, and I don't think it's lazy. I mean, it may seem lazy, but it's really not. It's leveraging what's already there, and it actually would be kind of terrible. I think <laughs> yeah. if you ended up rewriting the whole thing, like it just wouldn't make any sense. You already have a query layer. GraphQL is a query language for your API. Like, yeah, I mean, totally use it this way. It makes complete sense. And it fits in with what GraphQL was designed to do. It was designed to be able to front these other APIs and, and uh, databases and stuff.
2: Yeah. And to to bring it back to what you said about hustling some features out of me for Craft 3.4. Mm-hmm. The best part of it is that once you outline your problems, and I and I saw that, I, I I thought, well, I I can't solve this in GraphQL really. If there's not a solution for that in Element Queries, I can't really solve it. So right. what I really did, I just tricked Brandon into doing it in Element <laughs> Queries, and then I just wrapped around it, and I got all the credit. <laughs> it's
0: amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get to what you added in in 3.4, but let's let's get back to 3.3. So that's what was shipped in it is essentially just a GraphQL API where you could query any of the element types, right? So it was a read only query of the element types, and that's pretty much what the the reference MVP first implementation was, right?
2: Yeah, and that's what 80 percent of people using GraphQL want, right?
0: right? I don't know, Tim. You're you're here. Is that does that cover everything that you want from GraphQL? Well, no, he said 80%. So I guess I'm
1: I'm the entire 20%.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Tim is not a 10X developer. He's a 100% developer. So he he probably has a ton of stuff that he wants to have in there. So if that's what you shipped in 3.3, what did you end up adding in 3.4? And what did some annoying guy from New York harass you about wanting to have in there for that?
2: You're really going to make me bring up the change walk?
0: No, oh uh, but I, I think
2: uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, GraphQL, I think that the the main feature, at least for me, definitely was allowing to filter element query results by arguments. Well, uh, for custom right. fields. So as opposed to just typing out a grotesque abomination in a related to argument, you could just specify the exact field that you want the rel- relationship to be searched.
0: Right. So for, for everyone listening, what I was working on was a faceted search where there were multiple fields where people could enter stuff in to narrow down the found set of stuff. And so this requires searching multiple sections and limiting stuff by that. And what Andrus ended up adding is a way to pass in a filter to each field to say, you know, I only want things that match this, right? That sounds about right. <laughs> Did you actually work on this or did you farm this off to somebody else? Because I I, I don't know. I
2: I just told you I farmed it off to Brandon. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, that that's thats what you wanted. And right. to use the related to argument in such capacity that you wanted was I felt that it would be irresponsible of me to add support for that because mm-hmm. it felt hacky and I would be on the hook for supporting that for eternity. And it didn't even make sense. It felt super unwieldy. If I was building a site, there's no way I would want a related to parameter value like that. Right. And I figured, and that's another case. Case you know of uh, what I mentioned earlier is uh, framing what what what's the feature you're asking for, and people were asking for more pow- powerful related to argument versus the problem that they needed solving, which is problem you described. So yeah, once you focus on the problem, you sort of figure out that this is definitely not the best approach to use a related to parameter for that. So and the best approach is just to figure out how to make brand and add support for that in element queries. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and it keeps the model, right? It keeps the cohes- cohesive model of GraphQL being a layer on top of this element query API. So I think it's the right. A lot of times when you're yeah. coding stuff, the, half the battle is figuring out the right place to implement it. You know, like where in the layering of this stuff does this thing go? And I think it was done in the right place in this case. You know, you're keeping the coherency of the model.
2: Yeah. And Honestly, this has been one of the most satisfying things for me working on GraphQL, especially this, this use case, well, this problem that you described, because it helped me, arguably as a feature developer, help identify and drive forward the product in its entirety because the element queries are used everywhere. So it was a problem that came from um, querying the site, querying an installation using GraphQL that helped us to sort of just push craft itself forward, not only the GraphQL layer.
0: Hmm. I'll I'll
2: just take all the small victories I can get.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Sure. Well, something else I noticed is that it almost seems like you're doing test-driven development with GraphQL, or at the very least, you're being very proactive about adding testing to GraphQL as you build it out. So, what is the reason for yeah. that? Like, what made you decide that that was a good idea to do that?
2: Well, you you know how it goes. Everybody wants to write tests, and nobody has the time to write tests. <laughs>
0: right.
2: And coincidentally, GraphQL a release which was three Three shipped with the test- testing framework with uh, made for uh, made by GIL, so it seemed like an obvious choice that I should just jump on this with uh, as full capacity as I can manage. And honestly, go- going back now, I look at those tests and I really hate them because. <laughs> They, I mean, they test for stuff, but I would say they're just testing for things by accident. Right. And uh, uh, so since then, internally we've had long, long calls and talks about testing and how we want to do things mm-hmm. because there are many ways to approach testing and uh, as far as unit testing is, con- is concerned i try to approach it almost purely academically where you just try to split it down to smallest possible unit and just mock the ever living daylo- daylight out of everything else and in that way i think if you uh, look at the test for mutations you will see a better representation on where my head is at, at testing currently but definitely now that there are some tests and that we are, we have the actual policy of writing tests. I'm definitely trying to embrace uh, test-driven development, especially when a bug comes in that could have been caught by a test. Right. And yeah. And it really helped as well for GraphQL when I refactored the eager loading parsing logic in you know in the heart of GraphQL. It really helped that. I wrote a lot of tests before I refactor that because otherwise it would be a much bigger headache than it is now.
0: Yeah, and that was my question. Are you approaching this from a pure test driven development point of view where you actually write the tests before you write the feature? Or are you kind of writing the feature and then writing the test back from that? Or like how, how are you how are you implementing that?
2: It's partly by gut feeling, but if yeah, I, I, I feel that this, this feature is gonna be troublesome, then I start with tests. Because it, when you test, even if you try your best to write tests for code that has already been written, you're really going to be influenced by the code that is written already. Sure. You're going yeah. to cut, cut corners, you're going to make assumptions that you shouldn't be making just because you know how the function works already. So um, in trickier cases, I definitely write tests first.
0: And it makes sense because from a pure computer science point of view when you're specking out like inputs and outputs of functions and objects and that kind of thing like you you talk about the the abstract stuff so you really can write the test ahead of time like this thing should take this as an input and these things should be outputs and you can write a test to actually do that i think it's really a smart place to be going whole hog with testing as well is something like an API like GraphQL, right? Because it's something that people are really going to be leaning and hammering on. And I think it's probably going to be something that you're going to be thrilled that you have implemented. Because like you said, it's catching stuff as you're as you're coding along.
2: Right. But then again, you know that there there are a lot of theoretical conversations that are possible there. Because for example, do you just write a test for throwing a a query at the insta at the craft site and seeing if the return matches what you what you expect, or maybe do you focus more on testing every single unit of it so that you can be sure of that unit functioning correctly? So when something breaks down, you see which part broke down, as opposed to you know functional tests where you just it's like a big red flag. Oh oh captain, something's broke. And yeah. then you still are stuck trying to figure out what exactly broke and how.
0: Yeah. And you're right. Like testing is a huge topic in its own right. And I think some people do go a little crazy with it. They, you know, they want a hundred percent coverage, but you can have a hundred percent coverage. And if you write shitty tests, it's still not going to help you, you know? So it's yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, you, uh, you have to be smart about it really.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I would say that covering, like the crucial 5% is much, much better than doing a really crappy job, but covering 100%. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Has anyone else here been doing anything with testing? Tim, have you been implementing stuff with a testing framework in Craft at all?
1: Uh, not as much as I should be, no. Um, push stuff to some plugins, but yeah, it's it's been kind of what you're saying where, you know, it doesn't even seem worth it doing it after the fact. So I've been kind of waiting for a, you know, something new to to start with that because that's something to light
0: a fire under your better. ass to do it <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah how about you jenna you been doing anything with that i know you do a decent bit of laravel where for some things it's yeah test-driven well, development. Well,
1: i did quite a lot before the testing podcast episode we did so as not to be a hypocrite since i was leading <laughs> that episode but since then it's kind of gone back down to the oh i will do it when i have time and then the time never makes itself available to me but <laughs> Or, That's funny or, or,
0: because yeah. it's the opposite with me. I went from being a complete hypocrite to now I'm embracing testing all over the place.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm trying to get back into it, and certainly if when I start using Craft, uh, like or not GraphQL, GraphQL, I'll be writing more and more tests because it would be the first time that I'm using it. But, well, we, but yeah, we,
0: yeah, you don't need to do it just because you feel guilty about not doing it. I mean, there That's should the best, be the reasons. Best, the
1: best motivation to do it is I feel your... super guilty. <laughs>
0: I do not realize in the Republic- other reasons. <laughs> I, th- I oh. thought that
1: was the only reason. <laughs> no. In
0: in the Republic of Andrastan, nobody feels any guilt. They only implement no, no. stuff purely from a practical point of view. Does this make sense for this project? Right, Andres?
2: You, you're painting me as a horrible, pragmatic person. Pragmatic.
0: I'm painting you as a wonderful, pragmatic person.
2: Our benevolent programmer.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, but you can look at tests also like tests as many things have different perspectives and for example you can look at tests in that way that unless you have written tests for your final product how are you ever going to know when you're done writing it because you can just write tests for uh, the final functionality that you want and then when it's all green then you're done otherwise you will just be polishing it forever
0: you know well let's let's move on and start talking about something that is not done and is not out yet which is GraphQL for Craft CMS 3.5. So you have been making a number of additions. So one of the things, despite the improvements to the GraphQL API in Craft 3.4, one of the things that was still missing was mutations. And for anyone who hasn't used GraphQL, mutations are just making changes, essentially. So up until now, the Craft CMS provided GraphQL API has been read-only. It's for consuming the data. Craft CMS 3.5, my understanding is it's going... One of the features that's going to be in GraphQL is mutations. So talk to me about it, Anders.
2: Mutations are fun. <laughs> All right. So for... Most sites, as I said, querying should be sufficient, but as the world dives even deeper in this crazy world of SPAs, there are going to be more and more use cases where you want to write data from an app to the server as well. And obviously, uh, GraphQL, one of Many things it promises is mutation support, as you said. I wish I could say I'm ecstatic about mutations in GraphQL, but they're not nearly as flexible as queries. I mean, they're very, very rigid uh, in in their structure. So I'm not entirely happy about how mutations turned out for craft because there are some hardships, I guess. I'm from Latvia. Hardship is all I know. (laughs) No, I mean, and uh, Tim, you ran into it yourself quite recently where uh, for the people not following super closely along to GitHub issues posted 24 hours ago, (laughs) Tim Tim had a very specific problem where he wanted to upload files along in a mutation. And as far as graph mutations allow, the only way to populate the relationship fields now is to provide a list of IDs because of what I see are inherent flaws in GraphQL specification. But Tim Kelty here really, really wanted to just provide a list of file file paths that he knew was on a S3 volume. Mm-hmm. So he was forced brutally into attacking <laughs> to listening to an event and writing four lines of code to fix this problem.
1: I had to wade through so much of your code to find out how to do that.
2: I'm sorry, but I have to do that every day. <laughs> yeah.
1: It was despite how kind of like esoteric what I ended up with was like it was it was amazing how little code I had to actually write to, to produce what I wanted.
0: So to frame the problem, from a GraphQL query, you wanted to add an entry with a related file that was uploaded as as right. part so, of one submission. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So so because they're only, an asset field will only accept IDs mm-hmm. in the input parameter, I didn't want... So this is like getting submitted from a completely separate system. It's like a Rails-based thing. Mm -hmm. So that I didn't want to have to have them make however many requests to create the assets, get the IDs, then send another one to create the entry. And and part of this, I think, is something lacking in GraphQL is a specification for, for binary files. I think Apollo specifically has, I don't know what you call it, a module plugin, whatever, that allows you to have binary file data along with a request, but I don't think it's part of the actual GraphQL spec.
2: A sort of I'll jump in here a little bit as well to explain one, one more hardship that I've had to endure Well, when it comes to GraphQL object types, you have all these really neat things. You have interfaces and unions, and then you have types that are part of interfaces and everything's great. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to mutations, the only way to provide a more complex structure than a scalar is to use an input input type. And input types don't have interfaces and they don't have unions. So when it comes to, for example, an ad, uh, a relational field, in this specific case, an assets field, there is no way for me to tell that it can be an asset in this volume, an asset in this volume, an asset in that volume, which means there is no way for an asset field. I, I, can't, I also can't say that this asset field accepts this type, this type, or this type so there is no way for me to have a meaningful type system as far as input goes so this is actually
0: news to me like how does it make sense that you can have an interface that would define the data when you consume it when you read it in but not have an interface when you're doing a mutation to write it out i don't understand
2: well um you know it was news to me too if it helps (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I, I realized when I was halfway in, but you know, I, I was I was committed by then, and right. that was the moment when I went, "Huh." Ah, so that's why Mark Hewitt did it this way. Ah, <laughs> I see. Is I that coming that yeah, it,
3: in the GraphQL specs?
1: Like, are you plugged into that and think, "Oh, well, that's coming a year from now, so we can just wait it until
2: Might then. it hmm. might be coming a year from now? I mean, they were discussing it a year ago, and they are still discussing it now. So.
0: Huh? Uh, What is the reasoning? You must have skimmed this. So you must have some idea. What is the reasoning for not making interfaces universal? I mean, you're reading the data, you're writing the data. I would think you would want that kind of interface in both cases. I don't get it.
2: um, I Honestly, I think not to wag our own tail, right? But craft is so incredibly flexible content model wise that Hmm. when this whole schema was was drafted, it could be considered that an advanced content model was an outlier. You know, it wasn't very common so I, I think in the beginning it was like there there was simply no need for it mm. and then as things evolved especially if you consider that the GraphQL came from Facebook right they didn't have a need for it so they just didn't build for it and now of course now now it's a popular product so it has a lot of inertia you can just you know turn around and add things to spec apparently I mean, it takes I guess, at least I, a year of discussion
0: I guess but I think like, like logically if an interface is useful for consuming the data it would also be useful when you're writing I I don't know. All
2: right. Yeah, and it's not a hard problem to predict, right? Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not going to Yeah. It it doesn't make any sense to me, but maybe they had good reason for for doing it this way.
2: Right. And because of this rigidness, this is why relational fields allow arrays of IDs, arrays of IDs, and this is why Tim had to actually extend the built-in functionality. In well, I want to hear from Tim.
0: How did you fix this? So say if this is a problem in the GraphQL spec and therefore is a, a problem in the GraphQL implementation from Craft for doing mutations, how did you get around this? What did you do?
1: So yeah, so I just, you know, started digging around for what events Andrews had in there already and there was kind of a, a catch-all for just modifying the the mutation in the in the GraphQL schema as much as you wanted. So right. basically what I ended up doing was so craft generates these GraphQL types for every section and field layout that you have. So mm-hmm. essentially I just duped the the particular Type that I was after that where I was going to be submitting these things, and added a new input argument that accepted strings. So that you know that was the easy part. That was just getting around the the strongly typed nature of GraphQL. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the trickier part to figure out was, I guess, Andrews had uh, had this concept of value normalizers that I don't think he intended to be used by the public, <laughs> but it. it <laughs> It turned out to be exactly what I needed, so yeah, it's just a a point in the in the processing of the field that it runs through. This you can add a normalizer, which I think he said he was using for for matrix fields or something to to kind of massage the data. So I
2: can go on record and say that your use was unexpected, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it was okay, perfect. It was and, and it yeah. was
0: it was it was well named, so I knew exactly what. You
1: know, it was it was the right thing for me.
0: <laughs> so I'm familiar with using these events to add fields to the GraphQL query. So I get that part. The part that I'm not understanding is so you've, as an input, you've got a string, which is this file that they're trying to upload. How are you then converting that into an ID? Are you doing a lookup to find the file name yes, in but- the assets or...
1: Yeah, so I'm just so once I, you know, I have an array, so I ended up making the type list of strings instead of list of ints. And and then yeah, just just take each one and actually so since this other system is is already uploading these to S3, hmm. I just I'm just using assets the asset service has like a index file that uh-huh. you pass it the vo- you pass it the volume and the path. So and it gives you back the ID or it gives you back the asset
0: so because this is in an asset volume, you're just saying, okay, give me back the ID of this asset and it, but it's got to be in the index. So you have to re-index it before you can do that? Oh,
1: well, that's, so that's, no, I'm not actually the, the indexer, which I think Andrews probably wrote
0: as well, is nice enough to,
1: if you index a file, it mm-hmm. will create it or just return you the asset that's already at that path. Oh, nice. So, which is, you know, what happens like when you when you go into utilities and reindex assets, it'll make assets for paths that it finds. So, I'm doing the same thing there.
0: Well, that's pretty sweet that the API and the events are flexible enough to al- allow you to do this. But I-, I feel for you, Tim, like, you know, half the battle sometimes is not writing the code. It's figuring out what you need to write and where you for need sure. to write it. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> telling Andrews like, I actually, I like went in there and
1: was just, oh, this is, what am I doing? Is like, I'd be done. If I was writing a REST endpoint, I'd be done. And then I then I gave up. I started writing a REST endpoint and then realized that, <sighs> I was going to have to write my own token off yeah. because craft doesn't have, I mean, I didn't, I just wanted a shared token. I didn't want to like use craft tokens and make them like request a token and get it back or anything. So I was like, well, shit. Craft well, has you're, that.
0: Well, Tim, also you're a father and you have to think about what would my kid think of me if I gave exactly. up and I just wrote a rest API. They'd never respect me. You know, exactly. Jennifer's opinion of you would go down. Like you can't, <laughs> you just can't, you can't do that. You know, no. but I had to yeah. try.
1: I had to, there had to be a, another wall that brought me back, which I'm glad it did because
0: I mean, I've done that many times where you go down a road and you're just like, all right, screw it. You know, I'll just do it this way. And then at some point, you're like part of the way through it. And he's like, no, like this really isn't the right way to do it. You know, let me go back mm-hmm. and, and try to figure and
1: it's it just, out. It's just fun. Like, so the the other developer that I was working on this that's doing like the the Ruby side of it, he was like, oh, this is cool. I'm, I'm glad that we're we're doing this. And I told him that, you know, like, I almost just bailed and did a rest endpoints He's like, no, I'm glad you did this. Because now, now he, you know, that forced him to figure out Ruby's wrapper for making GraphQL requests and everything. Right. So. and,
0: and, None of this is uncommon at all, at least in my experience. Like if you watch the movies when people are writing code or whatever, you know, they sit down and they just start pounding on the keyboard and sparks are flying out everywhere. And there's like a matrix display on the screen. But the truth of the matter is, at least for a lot of problems I've encountered, is you spend days figuring out like the right way to do it. And then you write four lines of code and you're done. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like the amount of actual code you write a lot of the times is a lot less than sometimes the, the research that you you have to do. Yeah. Well, all right. So that was that was pretty interesting. So we got mutations that are going to be in GraphQL 3.5 that is coming out soon, Andrus. and this is going to be fantastic because I've I've got an old tutorial blog up on my site that shows people how to do an autocomplete search using uh, Mark Hewitt's CraftQL plugin and handling content form submissions using the CraftQL APIs from his plugin. Now I can update that blog. I can create a new one. I'll duplicate it and then I'll fix whatever needs to be fixed and, and show people how they can use GraphQL to write a simple contact form submission thing, for instance, right? So whereas people might in the past have used a, you know, they may have made their own controller API and a plugin, or they may have done, you know, who knows how they ended up implementing it. They might use the contact form plugin. Now they can just make a really simple GraphQL query and boom, they got a contact form. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I I don't think that, the uh, potential ends there. While, you know, mutations are really fun and amazing, I, I'm honestly, I'm just, can't wait to be done with 3.5 so I can work on 3.6 and the GraphQL features sweated for that.
0: Well, okay. So let's talk about what else is coming in 3.5 and this little thing called subscriptions. Is that 3.5 or 3.6? 3.6. In <sighs> I
2: mean, 3.5, what else, at least from me, is the project config split. But that's, you know, yeah, not part of GraphQL. Let's not talk
0: about it. Right.
2: But, oh, but yeah, it's so but, good. Yeah. I mean,
3: it
0: is. Go ahead. Mention it, Andrus. Go ahead. I got so so many uh, YAML
2: files. <laughs> you get a YAML file. You get a YAML file. Everybody YAML, gets YAML. YAML, YAML all file. the
0: yeah, YAML yeah. all the things. So, what did, right. what changes did you make in project config since this is another big project of yours that impacts a lot of people? What changes did you make in that for Craft three point five?
2: Right. So, first of all, starting from three point five, exporting project config to external files is no longer going to be optional. It's just going to happen always. Huh. But you also have to, we don't use the term sync anymore. You will have to apply the project config changes manually unless you're on dev mode. In which case, Craft uh, will still check whether there is something new coming in from the YAML files, multiple files.
0: Can you do so, me a favor, but, Andrus? Can you this is humor me to say, say in Soviet Russia, you do not apply project config. Project config applies you. That That's a horrible Russian accent. I know.
2: <laughs> do it. In Soviet Russia, Project Config applies you. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I actually considered doing this entire podcast with a thick Russian accent, but, you know, the joke has worn off in eight years. Trust me. <laughs> anyway, so the the big, big thing happening for Project Config is that no longer is there going to be a single project.yaml file. Hmm. Everything's going to be split up in a multitude multitude of files. So anything that has its own UID in broad strokes is going to get its own YAML file. Mm. And the only reason for doing this is for bigger projects with multiple people working on multiple things, a lot of times there were actual merge conflicts when merging project YAML file or, or even some bad merges where files got merged incorrectly. So uh, the only reasonable way on how to reduce the conflict domain there is just to split it out in as many files as reasonably possible so that you could still reliably reconstruct it back and split it out as needed.
0: Yeah. For anyone who's not familiar with Git and how it works under the hood, everything is on a per line basis. So it tracks things on a per line basis. And if you have a huge blob like this YAML file that could have hundreds of fields and other things defined in it, and you have multiple people making changes, it's possible there will be changes due to the way that project configs write, writes out the file. There could be changes to the same lines. That's when you end up with a merge conflict and someone has to sit there and go through it and pick which line wins in each case. And it ends up being, I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's Git saving you from overwriting changes you don't want overwriting, but it's not fun, right? I don't think anyone has ever had fun doing that. <laughs>
2: No, and especially if you consider a YAML file, a lot of the times it's downright hard to figure out which line is the right one to use here. Yeah.
0: Yes. Or
1: Git, or Git will get confused and and think it knows how to merge it, and it and it screws up the YAML format.
2: Yeah. So that that was the main reason for splitting out the project YAML file to multiple files, and then we just decided that there's been enough time for people to adapt it. And if we approach it so that you apply those changes manually, and also there's a new project config utility, by the way, that also lets you apply those changes or rebuild your project config. And also it allows you to list out your project config. Mm-hmm. Andrew, Basic, uh, you, you go. Uh, the Apart
1: from the those reasons for having everything as separate files, the, the thing that occurred to me was it would be super easy now to add like CLI scaffolding commands where you could just do like, you know, craft project config create field and it would, you know, generate your UID, make the oh, field, yeah, that, and, and give you give you a scaffold. Definitely, that, field. that
2: that is uh, that is why I earlier said you think you cover everything, and then you know you figure out you cover <laughs> nothing because I never even thought of this you know use case, but it makes perfect sense. And is you that shipping just, as uh, a
0: feature in three point five, Anders, the CLI that lets you create fields? Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> probably not. Probably not, Andrew. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> uh, but, I, for example, I see, as as I mentioned earlier, you know, for big features, you have to see uh, the roadmap way, way, way ahead. Mm-hmm. So now that we have Project Config Utility, when I do my next loop back to Project Config, I expect the next things I will do is that you get to apply the changes and you actually get to see the diff of what you're applying. and. Since we're uh, already, and you'll be able to apply changes perhaps one by one in the utility, and maybe you'll be able to do rollbacks as well, one by one.
0: Mm, That's interesting. Yeah, because for anyone who's listening, instead of one huge YAML file, you then have this directory structure, and then each file is essentially going to define... Like Andrew said, something with a UUID, so a field, for instance. So if you make changes to a field in your local dev environment, instead of the entire project.yaml file changing and having to be committed, there'll be changed just to this one file in this big hierarchy of stuff. Now, Mm -hmm. is there a danger? I've heard some people talking about this, that they're worried if project config is on as always now, is there a danger that some secrets could potentially be written out to this file and then checked into Git?
2: Well... Isn't there always danger? Author of the American you Watch.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, there's uh, always danger.
2: There's always danger, but if you're uh, <laughs> being. And just uh, saving things in places, you know, in plain text, in places where you shouldn't be saving them, then there's only so much we can do. Right. If you're you're not saving all your passwords in uh, environment variables, then what else are we going to do for you? We can't
0: uh,
2: uh, recognize a string of characters as potentially being a password and just masking it.
3: Yeah, I was gonna, I was wondering if uh, there might be an opportunity in setting screens the same way that in the logs, uh, passwords get stripped out and whatnot to detect, hey, this looks like a password or API key field and put up a little note saying that it should be held in an environment variable.
2: I'm pretty sure that in log files, uh, we look at the variable name and determine whether it's a password based on that, not on the actual text string, because
3: there are so exactly, many false positives yeah. there. So the same way, yeah, to look at a, a settings field and if it contains the word key or password or whatever.
0: I think I think it's really this is really strange, Andrus, but I think Patrick is saying something smart here. Yeah, so,
3: it, <laughs> it's becoming a bad joke at this point because it's fine. No, it's no, okay. No. I mean
0: No, no. So he, because what what he's saying is implement a deprecator so that if someone does have this, they'll see a log with craft pointing out, hey, this should be an environment variable. That's what you mean, right, Patrick?
3: I wasn't thinking deprecator, I was thinking more of the little yellow text that shows up and says this may be overridden by an environment variable say like you should be overriding this with an environment variable it could be both it could also be a deprecator but thinking about more where people will see it and making it apparent than just throwing in a deprecation log
0: right so okay so in other words instead with this change to project config craft could become a little bit more proactive in terms of pointing out cases where you might be Mm -hmm. might be putting something that looks like an API key into project config. But I mean, Andres, like you make a good point. If they were doing this before, it was being stored in the database already. Is it really that different that it's stored in a file now? I mean, I know it's going to be in Git, but presumably that's not public anyway.
2: Yeah, and the thing is that you're not obligated to use project config anyway. You can just drop a .gitignore file in there and be on your merry way if that's not part of your flow. And if it is, then you have already taken precautions or maybe you have a serious security problem by now.
0: Yeah. I really like Patrick's um, idea of there being a something from craft that is just like, hey, you know, I'm storing this stuff in project config anyway. I could throw a deprecation or I could, you know, log something to let people know that, hey, you know, maybe this shouldn't be, maybe this shouldn't be stored here. Maybe this should be in an environment variable. I think that's a, a good idea.
2: There is a really good file in craft in CMS repo. It's called contributing and it outlines how to write pull requests. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so- <laughs> oh my goodness so, yeah. well not, not not all of us are getting paid money to have summer homes okay to do this stuff all right some of us are doing <laughs> it for free
2: well the country thanks you for your service Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying tim earlier something oh yeah uh, so i don't know
1: if this is an issue or not, but
2: are you just going to fix reporting craft bugs <laughs> on the podcast? <laughs> yeah.
1: No. So when I saw that project config or, you know, that craft was going to be writing to project config regardless. So it was like, you don't have to use it, but it's going to be writing that. I wondered if there's a, going to be a problem with distributed deployments and things, you know, requiring a local file system for that stuff. Because, uh, like, you know, I'm like if you're, I mean- if you're, de- deploying to multiple servers and one of them gets the update first but i don't i think the only issue you're going to have is is things writing to it right
2: i mean when you're talking about distributed system obviously well ostensibly it's the live production environment right, right. which yeah. should have admin changes disabled anyway so no writing to project right yep. so i don't think there should be an issue cuz in your workflow you should just be deploying applying project config changes and all the migrations and whatever, and then you shouldn't worry about distributed systems writing to the config folder because they shouldn't be doing that.
0: What happens if I have allow admin changes on in production and it's hosted on something like Heroku or served where there's an ephemeral file system? What happens then when changes are made in production, does everything blow up or does it work or, or what happens? Why Why don't you test and find out? <laughs>
1: so I can, I think I can answer
0: this. So um,
1: we often have. Wait wait, 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 Tim, Timothy Tim, Tim, Yeah.
2: yeah. You, so say, say you're uh, in River O'Neill in Africa, swimming upstream, running away from crocodiles, and Andrew Welch comes swimming up to you and says, hey, what happens if I do this on served on ephemeral file system? Go
1: i say chronicy <laughs> so i believe that served is setting write permissions for some of that stuff so i think it'll allow you to to save things and even though it's writing to that file it's not really going to be using it because if you you know pull down the database or something you'll still get those changes you'll just have to you know rebuilds your local project config
0: you'll get all the changes from the database but then you have to manually sync it to write out effectively rewrite the changes locally that were well, made in production
1: not, not sync it the opposite of sync well now it's apply but you you have apply. to you'd have to rebuild rebuild yeah mm-hmm. yeah so like so we actually do this in on our dev sites um we often have admin changes on because we'll have we'll have kind of like content admin people actually doing some content modeling and do that out there so they'll be making admin changes but then we'll eventually want a project config so we'll just pull down the the we as the developers will pull down the database rebuild the project config and commit that so then when it's eventually you know in production then we can turn on turn off admin changes and turn on syncing and everything
2: got it and it's also not like craft 3.5 is creating this problem right it's not changing anything about the problem you already had
0: well fair enough what i want to know now is when is craft 3.5 being released anders
2: well we are aiming we are aiming to have it released in mid-august early august definitely by end of summer but things go really badly when we promise stuff so you know we are aiming for a ga in august
0: so during the dot all latvia (laughs) conference
2: sure if you're referring to to me just working on craft 3.6 and all the amazing stuff there (laughs) Um, one really yeah. one cool thing that that
1: we've found with with GraphQL in craft is people using it essentially as a reporting tool, because it's with Graph in there and everything. It's it's so magical with its autocomplete and. And schema lookup and everything. We have content people that we've just really rudimentarily taught them how to do queries, and they're just in there making queries. You know, like oh, I need to like. Whereas before, they would have asked a developer to run a SQL query and find out X things that didn't have this field or whatever. So that's That's, been really really neat and yeah, and like not (laughs) not expected, but it's stuff that's either too cumbersome to do with Craft's wacky searching string syntax.
2: (laughs) Hey. But yeah, sorry. You're right. that, was, that, was that too yeah. real? <laughs> <laughs> too, too real. Yeah. Uh, when I was working on GraphQL, I, I just barely got it working in the first days, and there was no eager loading, no nothing. But when I typed in the query and I looped in multiple levels of relationships, and it just worked. It it really felt so so magical at that time because I hadn't used GraphQL before, and when you for the first time experience the the magic that is GraphQL in your life, that is that is a
0: precious moment you should hold on to. <laughs> (laughs) Note to Andrew, try not to sound bored reading this. Okay. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. Make sure to subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, please write a review on iTunes. Tell a friend or retweet this episode. We really appreciate it. We'd love to continue the conversation. Leave us a comment on the devmo.fm website or visit us at devmo.fm for the devmo.fm podcast. I'm Andrew Wells
3: i'm patrick harrington
0: i'm jennifer bloomberg
3: Jim <laughs> and thank you andrus
0: sevachenko for coming on Andres. Uh, thank you <laughs> I, <laughs> I,
2: I, i'm just shocked
0: <laughs> that's what i always say leave them speechless
3: for a monster car rally commercial? <laughs> monster truck rally? I don't know what the hell that was. I thought I don't it was know. great. I, I don't know. Think it
0: was bad. <laughs> should I do yeah, that you the you whole time? Should
2: have, you should have, have an accent word. Yeah, yeah. You should all just talk in accents. Well, I,
0: mean, I, I, I figured I had to do something because uh, Patrick was upset because I was teasing him. He got all Well, mad, there are times so. you go,
3: alright, we've wrapped it up for another FM podcast. And you, you just sound like, oh man, I gotta read this thing.
0: Well, that's because I'm thinking, like oh man, I gotta read this. Public thing. access
3: yeah. radio.